Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. So we're going to talk a little bit today about what everybody else is talking about. We're going to talk some crap about election season, and it's all coming up. Um, And so we thought we'd just kind of um, put some context on a few things with regard to deadlines (coughs) and all of that's that's going on. Brian and I are both still suffering from a little bit the remnants of a cold that we picked up over. It's not COVID. It's not COVID. COVID. We got tested. We already had COVID. We're both vaccinated. It's not, and I, I was tested. So um, it's not that it's just, uh, it's just a regular good old fashioned American cold. Which honestly feels worse to me than COVID did right now. (laughs) (laughs) I've been able to shake it in a week. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So, um, I spent last weekend up with the Colorado Farm Bureau's Candidate School. Um, it's actually a great program that they run where they uh, they teach you basically how to run for office. Yes. Um, I had a lot of great takeaways from that, but the biggest one is I have no interest in running no, for no, office. No, not at all. <laughs> no, and those schools are great because a lot of times you see candidates jump in the race and they have no idea how it actually works. And so there's two kind of schools of that. You have the kind of the generic, like, oh, so you want to run for office. This is what you should do, and this is how you should approach it, blah, blah, blah. And then um, the other side is, like, the technicalities of it. So it's like, you know, this is what you have to do for your financials. This is who you have to have on your team to take care of compliance, money, blah, 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 blah. So this was, it sounds like, I didn't go to it, but it sounds like it was a more of, like, so you want to run for office. This is what you need to consider, yeah. right? Office running for office 101. So they had a lot of great, um, uh, like, okay, this is how much you should be spending on television ads. Of yeah. this, what you know, what should your goals be on your budget? Why is it important to fundraise? Um, and then, like you said, some compliance issues, but really the nuts and bolts of how to do it. So they had people who were running for office there, people who were thinking about someday running for office there, and then. Um, spouses even and um uh campaign managers yeah because uh if you run your spouse runs yeah absolutely campaign manager is an important part of that whole process as well and that's i think that's one mistake that some people make when they run for office it's like oh i'm gonna run and my best friend or my brother or my sister is going to be my campaign manager not understanding what that entails because as a campaign manager there's professional campaign managers and there's amateur campaign managers, which basically means you've never had experience in it. And there doesn't really seem to be much in between. But you, like, if you do run, you need to have somebody with some experience on your team somewhere. And I've seen many races locally, even nationally, where they miss that part of it. So like, they're running for office and they have the, for lack of a better term, an amateur team. And I was in that boat at one point when I ran a campaign because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. But that you have candidates that probably could have won that do not win based off of their team and experience with their team. So one of the things that uh, got hammered home along that vein over and over again 
is the importance of getting a professional campaign manager, um, but also making sure that the campaign manager gets along with the spouse. Yeah, that's an important one too. I think um, one of the things that people don't think about is um, you very much, your spouse has to very much be a part of your campaign and it's such an important thing. Otherwise, it ends up being a place where marriages go to die. Yep. I think you said that earlier. Yeah, that's kind <laughs> this of an unsaid uh, saying about going to the capital, any capital. It's like that's where marriages go to die. So, so basically, if you're going to run for office, the first person you need to check with is not the party. <laughs> right. It's not donors. It's your husband or wife or spouse or partner because... It's it's a two. It takes two to tango in a campaign, basically. Yeah. yeah. If they're not all in, then forget it. Yep. Um, so that was. I think that was the biggest takeaway. And I was thought, there's just no way that I could, you know, run my life and run a campaign and you know, all of that. Yeah. It yeah, just. It's, it's just. It it takes so much focus, and especially nowadays. So here was another thing that. Uh, I learned there was um, some professional campaign managers up there. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a really interesting lady, and I wish I'd brought my card so I could say, so, tell you. So let me ask this. Were they from Colorado or are they from out of state? So the, the facilitator was from out of state, but everybody that was there was from Colorado. Okay. So, and that was, that was an interesting part, too. The facilitator was a really great guy. Um, he knows what he's doing. He knows, like, okay. You need to have this many signs for this area, and you need to have the signs need to look like A, B, or C. Like, he knows all of that, right? Okay. So, um, but as he's talking, and this was a totally, I don't know, honorary thing on my part. But as he's talking, I'm thinking, um, all the references he was making for were, like, from two, 20 years ago. Yes. Like, all of his materials were from 20 years ago. Yep. So, I asked him afterwards. So, I didn't score as high on stuff as I thought our team should score. You know, I was like, oh, it should go like this. It should go like this. So, so I'll throw some questions out there for okay. you. Because working in this, um, not so much on the campaign side, but I am familiar with the campaign yeah. side a bit. But the dynamic for rural Colorado is different from Denver, Colorado yes. Springs area, right? This is and what I'm saying. I think a lot of these, these are geared toward the, the more Denver, you know, metro area type campaigns. So, like, when it came to let's say signs are no. Okay. Let's, let's do this. So what about t-shirts? Did he mention t-shirts at all? He did not mention t-shirts. Good. Um, he said, he didn't say anything about t-shirts. Good. He said it needs to be about signs and then how much should go of your budget should. So way more than I thought he was going to say of your budget should go to signs. Well, I was like, expensive. is that true? Yeah. They're so expensive. Signs oh, is that are, what it is? Signs are super expensive. And you could cut costs by getting like the, say the yard sign. So you have either the kind of the hard plastic yard signs. It's like, it almost looks like foam core, but it's plastic and it's kind of hollow in the middle. Oh yeah. Or you can do the yard signs where it's just like a sheet of vinyl or yeah, something and you put it over and, the, pull it over. and you, you save half the money, right? Well, the problem with that is the majority of those signs, if it gets windy, bad weather, they're going to come off or they look wrinkly. Right. Um, you know, I, I told... Brandon Martin, who ran for city council that, because he he had the big four by eight signs. So the big ones that you see on, you know, a field or somewhere, not like a billboard, but the the smaller of the big ones, a medium sized sign, let's yeah. say that. Um, but he used the um, 
just the sheet, you know, so he put in the fence posts and then basically zip tied the sheet on. Well, with wind that rips and then the signs are flopping around and that never looks good. So I always tell candidates and, you know, it costs a little more money, but you want the solid signs. You want the solid signs, yeah. And if you don't do the solid signs on the yard signs, that's fine. But for the big ones, you need the solid ones. You need them secured well because they fly away. Yeah. And then you did, next thing you know, your sign's in somebody's front yard or hits their car or their kid riding a bicycle, which actually did happen. And then they're complaining. It's like, hey, oh Brian McCain, gosh. you're running for office and your sign flew and hit my kid in the head. It's like, well, <laughs> sorry. Um, so, yeah. okay. So he didn't mention t-shirts. No. And I've always said when it comes to campaigning, because you'll see parades and a few t-shirts are fine. You know, Yeah, for parades, parade. t-shirts are fine. But t-shirts cost so much money. Signs cost a lot of money. But if you're you're getting a lot of t-shirts made. One mistake that burns money for from candidates is they'll get like a multicolored t-shirt front and back, and you only wear it two times. Right. You wear it in a parade. You can wear them out in public or if you're waving signs or whatever. But they're not attractive t-shirts. No, no. They so you never don't want to wait. And, and as the saying goes, t-shirts don't win championships. So <laughs> there's that too. Now with the signs, I've... I've heard it argued that signs don't make much of a difference. According to this guy, it's just about the whole ball game. Yeah, but like in a town like Pueblo, it does. I, I think the large four by eight signs on the highway, like completely, like make an impact. Maybe not, you know, the the yard signs so so. But the problem, like Pueblo is a yard sign town. You'll go in front of a house and they have like fifty signs up. Yes, you know, and, and he talked about this too. Yeah, and, and that's, I never kind of bought into that. I was always like one, maybe two signs in my yard, if I even put a sign up. Obviously, I work for a congressman, so I put signs up for him every election right. in my yard, but I would rarely put another sign besides his. Okay, so even when you put the signs up, like there's a there's a formula for taking the sound, the yard sign down and putting it back up. So he said take it down on like a Friday or like a Thursday or something like that, because and then put it back up like on a early on a Monday morning because people notice a change. Yeah, so yeah, that pretty makes sense. soon I've never they, heard they that, get that used to this the sign. So then you have to like mix it up. So no, it, so they key into a change. So they key the into the change. Yeah, that's a good idea. So I've never I never thought about. I've never thought about. That. So there was some really good stuff like that. What did he say about like radio versus TV versus social media? <laughs> so this is another interesting one. So he was all, and it was, again, it was a timing thing. Like you do TV, um, TV ads and TV, um, like you do the ads and you do all that and you spend the money, Mm -hmm. but um, the, it's where, it's, it's where and when. So, you know, you want to pick where people are going to be paying attention. Like you want to spend your money when people are going to be paying attention. You're going to spend more money, but like you just said, spend the extra money to do it right. He also <laughs> talked about um, radio. He said, like, he was all about the radio. Yeah, radio is And big. that's why I was like, is that still applicable today? Yes, yes it is. Um, radio is huge. You spend a lot of money on that, and it's actually impactful, at least in rural Colorado on this part. Um, if he's saying that up in Denver, it probably is because people listen to the stations up there because you're stuck in traffic for two hours a day. Oh, yeah. Uh, the majority of the people that are, you figure, successful, more like attuned to politics, not that success has anything to do with that, but say like a businessman or a banker in Denver who's driving home at 5 p.m. 
to or four thirty to six thirty to get home. Um, generally, they'll listen to the talk radio or the kind of the political stations up there, and that's why that's important. There's there's the time frame. It's like you want radio at like you know seven thirty to eight thirty in the morning, and then four thirty to five thirty in the evening because that's when those people drive and listen to it. Um, but radio is impactful. Um, TV. You know, it's TV is a weird thing because now everybody streams, so it's not yeah. it's not like a laser pointed audience. So, like, if you have radio, you know your ad's going to hit the people listening to radio. On TV, it's like, do you go through Comcast and put it on the cable? Do you um, do like so, a geo scene no, mode and do it through Hulu and YouTube and stuff? No, it's um, it's sports. Sports. It's sports. That's what he said. That's what he said. It's sports. So people will look at local stuff to watch their sports. And that's true. The yeah. only reason that we still have cable at my house um, is so that TJ can watch football. Which makes sense why the Super Bowl ads are the most expensive Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So um, everything else gets tuned out and everybody streams. But um, sports. What about newspaper? So he said newspaper, but I, I'm going to disagree with him on the newspaper. He said, yeah, people still read newspapers, so that should be like 10% of your budget or something. Mm-hmm. But he put social media, which I was really surprised with because he was talking about um, print ads and signs. It was like signs, signs, print, signs, print. Um, uh, he was all about the mailers. That was his big yeah, one. Yeah, that's like, what I would all say. All the, the money should go to mailers. Yep. Not all the money, but the... Something yeah. like 40% of yeah. your budget goes yeah. to mailers. Mailers are very impactful. Um, to this day, that's where the campaigns I've been associated with or helped out with, um, you know, the mailers were the big ones. It was kind of like everything else was second string. Mm-hmm. Social media, um, again, these are these are campaign areas that are in kind of the rural part of Colorado. Um, I, You know, in Denver, the metro areas, that's more of an impact, I think, but... You know, even up until a year ago, it was still, COVID probably changed us a little bit, but, you know, it was only 18% of the rural population actually checked or had a Twitter or a Facebook. Yeah. You know, so that, that's why. Or if why they I, check it or whatever. Yeah, and, and so, sometimes you're working on a campaign and you get the out-of-towners, like, from either another state, like, the the big party people coming down saying, like, oh, we got to spend all this money on Facebook. It's like. I always looked at that as more of a waste of money. Now, again, COVID, I think more people are attuned to the the social media just because we've been stuck in our house for so long and got used to it. But prior to that, you know, you're, you're not touching the population and the people that were on social media politically, you're not going to change their mind. You know, it's an echo chamber, right? right? So if you're political on Facebook, your mind's pretty much already made up. Right. And nothing's going to change that. So I always looked at the social media more of kind of a waste of time. It was the last thing on the priority list as yeah, far as the budget yeah. goes. Okay, I think good. it was like 5%. Yeah, that, that makes, that's but good. But it was 40% that. and then everything else, 40% of mailers and everything else was split up. So it was interesting to watch and go around the room and sort of everybody go, really, does this still work? Do these still apply? Did he get into like um, geo-targeted ads? Um, yeah, a little bit, but he didn't go because he's a, from a national guy. Yeah. He's like, you got to get with your professional. Yeah. Because um, I, I think that would make an impact. Um, like if you're running for this new Senate district in Pueblo, that's just Pueblo. If you could like geo target ads in Pueblo. So if somebody's watching YouTube, they're going to see that. ad. Yeah. Or if they're on you know Hulu or they're on their phone, you're going to see that pop up. Um, whether they're like surfing the web, you're going to see the banner at the top of that. 
I think that can make an impact um, for a more local race. Now, if it's like a statewide race, you can target the voting areas on it, but yeah. specifically like where the advantage where the geo-targeted ads would be a more local race, like again, a, a Senate district that's a county or even a couple counties, something like that right. would, would be smart to do that. Because mm-hmm. just take a, a last time you're in a restaurant or the next time you're in a restaurant, just look around, um, guaranteed 95% of the people in the restaurant are looking at their phone. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. So. Well, that's what I was saying. I was like, so they're going to be on their phone. They're going to be on, I would think the social media would go up and the newspaper would go down. But he didn't, he wasn't yeah. bought into that yet. Um, but it was, I think in priority, it was um, mailers, uh, TV, radio, yeah. um, signage. Um, and then what else is there? Then the bottom of the priority list was social media. Because social media is cheap. Yeah, it is. It so is. that was and part of it. very targeted, too. Yeah, it's very targeted, and it's cheap. So yeah. um, I don't, and I don't know if any, I think everybody's sort of getting snowblind to things. So I wonder, you know, over the last 20 years, my question to him afterwards was, okay, in the last 20 years, and looking at the most recent election a few weeks ago, how are things changed? And mm-hmm. and he didn't really have numbers for um he didn't really have numbers for anything local in the state or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But those top things like mailers, mailers, you know, all of that. And it occurred to me while I was sitting there, like, why do mailers work? <laughs> but think about um, when you're trying to um, win somebody over to your way of thinking. Mm-hmm. You want to hit as many senses as possible. Yeah. All those other things, it's there's no touch in there. Yeah, there's no yeah. hold it in your hands. And that's like a basic sales thing. The, the only downfall of mailers that I could see now is if you're unaffiliated, which is a third of Colorado, you're getting every mailer. So like you'll probably get. Oh you my know, gosh. Yes. And you know how it is. You'll open your mailbox and there's like 20 things in there from political stuff in one day. So I think that in theory could take away from it, but even that's been going on for a while now because yeah. you have, you have PACs supporting <clears throat> policy and, you know, um, candidates but the numbers on it were still up that, that mailers had one of the biggest impacts. And mailers aren't cheap either. They, like you're going to – you want to do like a huge no, mailer, mailers. you're going to drop like 80 grand yeah. like easy doing that. So there's a whole lot that goes into the mailers too. Mm-hmm. Even like you'll see a mailer that will say the same thing but it will have a different layout if you're doing – depending yeah, on the yeah. size or whatever. And, and then you target different populations like is this going to go to veterans, you know, who right. you know. We'll send this one out to 50,000 veterans. You know, we'll send this one out to 50,000 educators, and it's going to be a different one. And every time you, it's a different one, you're going to pay that money for everything from design, you know, printing costs, blah, blah, blah. But mailers are effective, and they're also very specific. Again, you could target that certain population you want to see that you want your message to go out to, whether it's veterans, um, you know, 60-plus or you want to target younger people on this. Um, you want to target, like, uh, contractors. Right. You know? and, and that's that's where a lot of these political um, campaign people kind of mix over with, like, and, and it goes into the fundraising as well, like the trade associations or any association. It's like, hey, we want to target your membership with these mailers, you know, and, and generally you can find that online. You can see every business that's a member of the Home Builders Association right. or the Realtors Association. Right. You can, you can really fine-tune those messages going out to them. But it's not cheap. It's not cheap. Well, but th- the thing I think, like I think about mailers. So I get so frustrated with mailers during when it comes from during an election year 
beginning in August, I will not watch any TV that has anything. So I don't look at YouTube. I don't look at, because I get so just, uh, I get so sick of it. Um, And I'm in this arena, you know what I mean? So I get it. But with a mailer, even though I'm going to throw it away. Well, you see the name and the picture. You're holding it in your hand and you're looking at it from the time it takes you to get from the table to the trash can. Yeah. You're more engaged with that than I think for me. Like, because I tune it out, right? I've seen it before. It's ridiculous. It makes me, um, like, ads will just make me dig in more. Do you know what I mean? To where I'm at. Social media, like you said, that makes you dig in more. The mailer, I'll at least look at it and read it before I throw it away. And for all those that are now registered as unaffiliated in Colorado, get ready for it. Oh, no. Spam. I get tons. I get all of it. Phone calls. So another thing, too, is, uh, and I hate, like solicitors on the phone, right? Like your oh my your gosh. extended car warranty is about to expire. But I I actually do the surveys when anybody calls me asking do you me to really? do a survey. Yeah, yeah, I do because I just do you do them? No, I do them legitimately. You do legit- yeah. not I mean, tongue every and now, cheeks. Every now and then I'll do one <clears throat> tongue in cheek, especially if it's for somebody I don't like. But but no, I, I do those because that's um I think that's good data for policymakers to shift their perspective. It's like voting without voting. Oh, gotcha. And so I always, I always tell people they get you know pissed off at the political surveys that come out around election time. I'm like, well, first off, if usually if you do one, they won't call you back. Oh. Uh, you know, it'll go on their database because it's the same group that's maybe doing three or four surveys or whatever and trying to follow up. But if you're you know concerned about something, if you do these surveys, it actually does drive or kind of steer the candidate or policymaker into making the decision of what they're going to run on or even some policy. Right. Like how many times do you get the, you know, as an energy customer, like we're, we're Would calling you. Would you be interested like, in your, yeah. Or like, it's like, how do you feel Black Hills Energy is doing or XL or Tri-State? Like, right. And those, those companies and those utility companies just for that, you know, they'll, they'll do those surveys and kind of adjust things based on that. So that's why I say, like, if they're calling for the survey and you have time, just do it. It's like five minutes and it actually does help. And it does. It, it, again, it's a it's way like for a, make your voice heard. It's a soft vote. Um, before we go to break. Um, so one of the things that he didn't mention that drives me crazy are the text ones. Like, do you get the texts? Yeah. Um, so those are, and I could be completely wrong on this, but I think the text ones, it's actually somebody texting you. No, I think that too. Because I think legally they can't, they're not supposed to be able to like have a, a bot text, but I know I've received bot text before, but I think with the political stuff, that is somebody actually texting you. And I say that because I have responded snarky to some of those. No, I have too, right and you away. get a response. Yeah, I'm like, oh, and I'd be read like, that. Yeah. yeah, and I, I feel a little bit bad because I appreciate people who are engaged in volunteering yeah. and all of that. So I tried to temper that as soon as I got that feeling that that is somebody. <clears throat> he didn't talk about it at all, but um, I wonder how effective those are. I think they are. I, again, it's oh. You know, you got to weigh this, like, is it annoying or is it effective? But again, to be effective, if you reach out to a hundred people and you change one person's mind. Out of a hundred. Yeah. You know, that that's, is that considered effective? Yes, I think so. And that's why you spend a lot of money on, you know, you're, 
it's like the invite a hundred people to a meeting and expect 10 to show up. So I, I'm, it's, it's just a weird dynamic of how effective this actually is, but I think it is. I think the mailers are effective. I even think the texting might be effective. Um, I, I do think door knocking is effective, but it's not a, you can't hit a lot of ground door knocking. Um, if you have the candidate out there knocking doors, which is easy if it's in like a smaller area, like if you're just running for a city council or again, a state senate or state house, I think that's super effective because how many times do you hear that, you know, so-and-so, I didn't know anything about them, but they came up to my house and I talked to them for 20 yeah. minutes, you know? The problem with that is a candidate, if you're out there door knocking and you usually have a door hanger, which is like a mailer, you just put on their, their door. Yeah. So when you do get a response, you're going to spend 20 minutes with that person. So effectively, you know, you're only going to talk to like five or six people that day. Right. And that's, you know, you're spending 10 hours to talk to six people. Like how effective is that really? But on the flip side, if you win that person over, you got their family's vote and you got their friends. Yes. They're going to be like, hey. They're going to influence X number of people. Sarah Blackhurst showed up at my house and we talked about this and she has some good ideas. So forever, um, for every, they said for every person that you influence, they they have the power to influence seven more people. Yeah. So um, that might be a really effective thing. So we're going to take a break when we come back. Um, So I'm going to pose the question to you now and then you can think about it until we come back. Think of a time when you thought you who you <clears throat> you thought you were like okay I'm gonna vote for this person and then something during the campaign campaign made you switch your vote. <laughs> okay. So think about um, when that happens because I really want to know is it just people like digging in more or is it is anybody actually persuading anybody else mm-hmm. to their way of thinking? So stick around we're gonna talk some more crap about politics and elections. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders. Excel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State, and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. All right, welcome back. We're just talking about campaigns and running for um, elections and how that sort of works and how it's kind of a bizarre business um, of running for office. Okay, Brian, did you think of a time when you thought you knew who you were going to vote starting out with and then it was changed? Yeah, it was, uh, there's been a couple of city council people that I've done that with and some state state senators and representatives. Um, I, I honestly don't think like presidential or, um, you know, like U S Congress or Senate, but l- more so on local elections. Cause you, like I've been dealing with some of the local people over the years on certain things. And I may not agree with the candidate on a lot of issues, but I saw what they were doing kind of behind the scenes. Whereas I was going to vote to support my, you know, political views, maybe go for the party, not the individual, but then getting to know the individual change to the individual over the party, which, and I've always voted for the individual, but, you know, going into something like, well, I'm going to vote, you know, Republican on this one. I don't know right. much about the, the candidates, but okay. So over the past few months, I've worked with this person who may not fall in line with my party values, but I know what they're doing and I see where they're coming from. So I'll vote for that. Yeah. No, and I think for me, I was thinking about Garrison Ortiz the first time I met him. Um, I went to this thing, and um, there's this really sweet guy that, um, you know, this really sweet kid that greeted uh, me when I walked in the door, and and it was Paul Hendrickson. And he's like, I want you to take a look at this guy who's running for office. And we go in, and I'm, you know, we sit down or whatever. And then I'm like, so where is this guy? And, And Paul's like, you just talked to him. I was like, that kid yeah. you just talked to. Um, and so I was like, I, I'm not voting for, for him because, you know, some, we need some experience or, you know, whatever I had yeah, in my head. Yeah. And then I got oh. to know Garrison over time. Um, and I went to a couple of his things and had some discussion with him. And there was a couple things that indicated to me that he was paying attention and he was going to follow up. Yeah. And so it was that personal contact yep. that made all the difference. Um, and then I think the other one is um, this whole idea about influencing. So I'm more likely to to take the word of a friend or um, yeah. a family member who says, oh, yeah, I've met this person. And this is I think that they're really great. And here's why um, over whatever. I think those are the most powerful ones. Sort yeah. of those, um, you know, and, and I'm using Garrison as an example. Um, like, here's here's this. You know. Well, you got to realize, too, that's how they win uh, re-election, because once you're elected in the office, then when you have constituent services, no matter if you're the governor, city council, or a senator, U.S. senator, um, when you have good, basically, customer service, but constituent services is what right. we call it, and 
you know, you represent everybody. So when you help one person, regardless, you help them regardless of where they stand politically. Yeah. That shouldn't matter. Unfortunately, sometimes it does, but 90% of the time it doesn't. But that's how you get reelected. And, you know, you help out this family with their issue, whether it's like, hey, my sidewalk's falling apart and nobody will return my call from the city. Can you get somebody on this? Or I'm having trouble with my, my dad's veterans paperwork. Can you help with this? The second you help them out, you're going to get that. And again, that entire seven yeah. people that say like, you know what? Um, you know, Sarah Blackhurst, like, I don't agree with her or anything politically, but she really came in and stepped it up and helped my family when we complained about our driveway being wrecked by the city. Right. You right. Know. So you're telling me that if you do a good job, you're more likely to be reelected? Especially if you represent everybody and not a certain group. Um, could not agree more. I was thinking about, um, this was years ago when you were still working for Scott Tipton. And we were um, at a, we were all at an event together or something, and there was somebody that came up to you. This I love to tell this story about mm-hmm. you. Somebody came up to you. He's a veteran. I'd worked with him when I was doing the veteran stuff at hospice, and he said, um, he shook your hand and he said, "Hey, I have never voted for a Republican in my life, but I'm voting for Scott Tipton because I need you. We need you to stay in your job." Yeah, yeah, and that's that's another important part is hiring the right people to work for you and do that part of it. Um, and not everybody does it, you know, they, I'm not going to mention names, but there's some pretty good examples. Um, not recently, but just in the past that, you know, I've, I've kind of stepped in and helped up, helped out on other offices and like, you know, this isn't the best decision to have this person here. And part of it too, especially with new, newly elected people, they, they bring their campaign on a lot, no matter what office you're running for. Cause you know, you, these guys helped me get elected. They were my campaign team. Now I'm elected in the office. They're going to come work for me. Yeah, in the office. there's a trust there. But then three months down the road, you're going to see that those people usually fall off, and then they bring in somebody else that's a little more professional that has the experience to do it. Because once you're elected to office, your duty to the constituents is not a campaign matter. You know, you you are right. elected to represent them and work for them. Exactly. Um, your campaign's separate from that, and when you see that weird crossover of campaign staff come on to the official side it's a recipe for disaster and, and you'll see it everywhere. Like any Senator or Congressman, when they first get elected, they'll have the staff. And then it's like two months later, their staff completely turns over. Well, and, and you're, um, you're, you're signaling to a community, to a region <clears throat> that you actually care about what's going on with them. Yeah. Um, and I think um, Hickenlooper is a great example of this. So yeah. there was nobody there for a while. Then they sent Antonio Huerta down here. Yeah. Um, and we were a little bit nervous again. We were like, you know, he was very, um, he was very new to the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and he has been amazing and wonderful. And just to show where, you know, a good politician or elected member is smart about that, you know, and I, I'm positive. I think she still works up there, but, um, Nanette, it was one of, uh, Senator Garner staffers, you know, and she, she was great at constituent service, especially when it came to military and veterans and stuff. And, and, you know, she got hired on at Hickenlooper's office. Yeah. And again, if she's not there, I apologize, but she, she was great at her job here in Pueblo. And then she was working for him like right off the bat up in Springs and, and, you know, a good leader elected official will identify those people that are a valuable member of the team, regardless, regardless of their politics, of party. you know, regardless and, of party. And, and I always said that, like, and even in our office, we had 
you know, Democrats and Republicans working for us. And, you know, I know Republicans that work for Democrats and vice versa. And it's just, it's just, it's not about the political side when you're there. I mean, there is politics or a politician. Of course. But when it comes to customer service and good representation, you, you hire the person that's best for the job. Well, and that's the whole thing. I think we sometimes forget um, as you come out of, everybody loses their mind a little bit during yeah. election season. I mean, they just do. There's not anybody, you and me included, that haven't lost our minds a bit during election year. Um, and we know we know how it works and how it happens and all of it. We watch it from a very different lens yeah. than everybody else. But um, when you can see the difference on who they're actually serving by as soon as they're elected, um, are they holding on to the to the contention of the of the battle? Yeah. Or are they like, okay, we're here to get the job done and here to work, and we're going to take care of. And I, because I have the love of state, I'm going to say Coloradans. So for Coloradans, are they doing that? So it's a question of who do they serve? Yes. And who will they serve? And so the election is really <clears throat> more or less a speed dating thing. Yeah. Right where you're trying to figure out who you'd like to spend some more time with. Um, and so that's part of the reason I think that elections get a little bit crazy because it's hard to wade through um, all of that. But I would say um, if you're thinking about running for, I mean, you're, everybody who's going to run for office has already thought about it. Um, there were some interesting things I learned that, because um, they talked about, making an announcement to announce and then like that whole thing, like you have to go through all these different steps. Um, and I just want to get right to like, just yeah. bottom line it. Um, but in Colorado, the reason some of these things that happen that maybe don't make sense is because all of the laws surrounding elections. Yeah. So for example, in Colorado, you cannot raise any funds until you officially announce. Yes. So, um, and it's <coughs> in us coming off of um, redistricting, and that was part of the reason we jumped in on redistricting, because yeah. we knew that all of this was going to be just insane if we didn't really um, support the process of redistricting. Um, and so um, the timing is right, but it was a really big deal. Like Rod Pelton announced at the Action 22 meeting that he was going to run for that Senate yeah. seat down there. Um, those are all very specifically timed and really interesting things that happen. So if there's something that just doesn't make sense to you, there's a reason that it's done that way. And yeah. it, again, it may it still may not make sense that it's done that way, but there's always a reason for everything around elections. Yeah. yeah. All right. So what do you think is going to emerge as the really crazy things this next year? I don't know. So I, I would just, I'm going to read this real fast. So this is, um, this is from Dan Crenshaw. He's a congressman out of Texas. He's the eye patch guy. If mm, you guys remember yep. that, where uh, I think uh, Pete Davidson made fun of him on Saturday Night Live. And it yes. was like, he went on anyway. And it wasn't a big deal. Everybody was like, I can't believe they made fun of, you know, a war hero and all this. And Dan Crenshaw's like, yeah, whatever. It's Saturday Night Live, but yeah. I'll go on. Um, I actually really like him. And I know he's getting a lot of flack from the Republicans right now on some things, but He's pretty popular in his district amongst both Republicans and Democrats. Uh, but he, he said um, he's talking right now because in, you know, in Congress, you have, you have like the activists and doers. Um, 
you know, the saying about Wayne, Senator Wayne Allard back in the day is he's not a workhorse, he's a show horse. Or he's not a show horse, he's a workhorse. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, this kind of applies to this, but he said something over the weekend that was I, I kind of like. And you could you could change the word conservative with liberal or Republican with Democrat. It goes for both sides. And he said, you know, there are two types of members of Congress. There's performance artists and there's legislators. Hmm. Performance artists are the ones who get all of the attention. The ones you think are more conservative. Again, you could put in liberal with liberal, that as yeah. well because they know how to say slogans really well. They know how to recite the lines that they know our voters want to hear. And I think that's important too. Um, there's, there's been times when, especially if your party's in the minority, if your party's in the minority in Congress or the Senate, you can say whatever you want because, and you could promise the world, but nothing's going to happen. So kind of the, the more red meat, those that are, are more vocal, they, they like that because they could be up there screaming and yelling and it's not going to change anything because they have no control. What's interesting is when you see some of these people scream and yell about getting stuff done and then all of a sudden the, the power structure switches where their party is in the majority, you really don't see them do much after yeah. that. Yeah. You know, that, that was the, the big thing about, you know, when AOC got elected, it was like, oh my gosh, she's the worst thing for this country. She's... She, you know, all the all the the bad stuff said about her. She's going to ruin the country. She's going to turn us into a socialist, communist country, or whatever. Because she's saying all these things. But if you really look, even when her party came into power, like she never really got anything passed. Now, I think there is a there is a purpose for that because you need people to be the cheerleaders, right? Right. You need you need the the very vocal few that kind of get the point to rally the, yeah. on both the right and the left, and. There, there has been the question that's, you know, if one party is wrong, so we'll, we'll just go with the, my side, my, I'm unaffiliated now, but, you know, my side of the aisle, I do lean Republican and conservative. And the, the question is brought up is like, if, if what you're doing is right, then what is the purpose of the other end of the argument? What's the purpose of, we'll just say Democrats. So if you believe in the Republican party and platform, you know, why is it a good thing to have Democrats there? And, and it balances it out. It keeps the other party in right. check. You always need that other side to keep you in check because what, and, and that goes for the Democrats as well, because if you just have total control and monopolize everything, you need somebody to keep you in check on the other side. That That's a good thing to say, even non-politically about the arts. Like, you know, it, there's a lot of discussion about, you know, is art important or music in society? And like, why do we waste money on art? And, you know, why do we waste yeah. government money on it? That's always a complaint of the conservative side. It's like, why should the government be funding the arts? Well, they, they fund a, a very, 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 very it's a tiny, tiny fraction tiny, tiny of a percent yeah. Yeah, goes to the arts. But again, it, it's like the arts are there to keep society in check, to remind us, you know, what other views show us other views and why, and that, I think that's why it's important for to have some funding and support from the government for the arts. Now, not total support because when you have the government fully supporting the arts, then that turns into a propaganda machine. But right. the, there is uh, in the budget for say, I think at the state of Colorado, there's, um, it's been years since I've done this, but they have basically a small office or an agency where you can submit your artwork and then whenever they build a new state building, they they have artwork in it and they could go through this catalog of art they have and then pick something out and say, 
oh, this artist is really good. We like this. We want them to decorate it. It'll take out like 0.001% of our budget. And I remember people being so mad about that. But the people that complain about that are also the people that go into a doctor's office or a social security office or a Pueblo County office or any county office and complain, and complain. that it looks you know, dreary and dull, you know. Well, and it's, it's about. I don't know how we got to the art thing from the political. But no, it's, I think it's about what, um, what's the objective of whoever's running from office, for office, running from office. That yeah. was a Freudian slip. Um, for office. And what's, what do they want to see happen with their time in office? What do they want to do with it? And if it's about development and prosperity and doing doing right by everybody, um, promoting, you know, a state or um, anything like that, they have to um, embrace multiple perspectives. Yes. And, they, and art is one of the best ways yep. to, to drive that, yep. whatever form that takes, being able to embrace other perspectives, you can, you can do amazing things like with that. Yes. And then the one mistake that a lot of people go in and thinking is that they're going to change everything. <laughs> and then you get in and you realize you can't because you're just one person in this. I mean, it's a smaller group. It's not out of everybody. But I always thought it's like, you know, be careful what you promise because it's not going to come true. The majority of it's not going to come true. It takes time. But if you could get in, say, for four years or six years, you can maybe change one, two, or three things, get something passed that's good. The problem is you have people that are running for these offices that say take four years or two years promising all this stuff, and then two years goes by and they haven't accomplished a thing because it takes time and it does take the art of politicizing and relationships right. and like making deals. And, and that frustrates me too. It's like, well, they're making deals with the other side. It's like, well, you, you have to. You have to do that. Anything. You have to. The most successful... Um, elected officials are ones that can embrace multiple perspectives yes. and and find value um, and strength in multiple perspectives. We've lost that. That's yep. the thing that we've really lost. Uh, and I told you about this earlier, but I was having a conversation with one of my twins. He said, and they spend a lot of time with me. They'll come with me to different things. And, and so they're a little bit politically engaged, more yep. than, a, than a normal 15-year-old would be. <coughs> Um, and, and Timmy said, um, who do you think would be a better politician, me or Tommy? And I thought about it for a second because they bring two very different perspectives yeah. to it. And I said, honestly, I think you would be most, more likely to win an election. Um, and I think Tommy would be more likely to drive, be able to drive policy. Yeah. Um, and that's the, that's, has to be a marriage. If you're going to be effective as a legislator, that has to be a marriage um, of those two able to win the election and drive policy. But I'm not entirely sure that that's what we want as a society anymore. Well, there was one time a guy was complaining about my former boss. And it was like one of the things he's like, well, he, he's, you know, compromised on his beliefs. He's not a hundred percent this. And he goes, and I just don't trust anybody that's not 100% with everything. And, you know, no compromise, no matter what. And I just looked at him and I said, uh, man, your wife must be really happy right now. <laughs> oh, that's different. That's different. Is, like, is it? <laughs> is it? Is it really different? I bet your wife is in a very happy marriage. Right yeah. Now. No, but that's right. You yeah. can't. 
accomplish anything without doing that. Um, and I, I'm, a, I'm pretty nervous um, for the state of things because I think that that's become um, no compromise. No compromise is the rallying cry. Yep. No compromise, and and you know, especially after the last presidential election, that's half of the people in this country. Yeah, people don't like realize that too. You know, it's like Trump's evil, and like you know, Trump was the worst thing that's ever ever happened. And you're like, yeah, but half the country voted for him, so you don't want to alienate. Half so you're your saying half of the people that you know are, yeah. you know, this yeah. and and not. And same thing with Biden too. No, you know, it's the same it's, thing. It's, it's the same both. thing. It's it's, it's both. It goes both ways. Um, I love people who are in office who stop and listen. They're the people that I will consistently work with, regardless of whether. Um, even this last week, there was a there was something that we had two of our members, and they were on very different sides of something. But I'm going to give them all the benefit of the doubt because even though their approach and their perspectives were completely office opposite, their, their outcome were, were lockstep. What they yeah. wanted to see happen were lockstep, and it was about who they serve. So I would just love it so much as, as we're talking about um, this next election year, and we're going to have lots of conversations like this this year, um, as we're talking about all of that, if we could just say... Um, who do they serve? Who will they serve? Yeah. What, what do we know in word and deed? Are they going to serve party? Are they going to serve Colorado? Yeah. And if people choose the ones who are going, obviously going to serve Colorado, regardless of party, then they will have my vote and my support Yeah. all day, every day, and twice on Sunday. Um, and then whatever, whoever I can tell about that, about who, you know, I can see them serving um, I'm going to do that too. I, 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 we have a tendency to be able to influence a few more than seven people. Yeah, you and I. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to do that. Um, so we have a lot of great stuff coming up. I just want to tell everybody um, we've got next week. We're going to have um, Colonel McLaughlin on. Yep. Because we're going to be doing um, a project with him on Monday. Tell talk yeah, about so, that really quick. So it's the the Mount Carmel. Um, I've talked about them before. Uh, but anyway, they're a, a veteran service organization. They're a nonprofit started by Mr. J. Chimino up in Springs. He's the Phil on Ford guy. Yeah. He owns the dealerships up there. And what he wanted to do, he has money and he really cares about veterans. So he, he established Mount Carmel, this nonprofit that's basically almost like a one-stop shop for veterans needs that's not part of the VA, but they work close with the VA. They, they work close really with mental health, with um, mental health providers in the region, both VA and non-VA. So they really want to get into rural Colorado. They're in Trinidad. Mm -hmm. They've been in Trinidad for a minute, but that's still getting set up. And they recently opened up here in Pueblo. Right. Uh, they're at St. Mary Corwin Hospital. I forget the room number, but they're at the, the hospital there. And our friend Doug? Yep, Doug Fitzgerald. He's running the office there. They're actually looking for a uh, case and a manager person there that knows what they're doing, which... I'm going to help them find. Um, but anyway, they, they are open up. They're functioning, although it's rudimentary right now. It's just getting bigger. I do believe they got some assistance from the city of Pueblo for it as well. And they're having their public reception, kind of like their 
I don't want to say grand opening, but it's their their first big public reception saying what they do. And they consider Action 22 a partner. And mm-hmm. that will be Monday at the Center for American Values from 2 to 3.30. We'll be there. We'll have a table set up with all of our stuff explaining what Action 22 does. And again, Mount Carmel will be showing the community what they do. So we have that coming up. Um, another thing, too, um, I know the, the VA for all of our uh, Valley, Alamosa area listeners, um, they're looking for two nurses. I forget the title of nurses. It's, you know, there's different levels of nurse, but they need to hire two immediately. And uh, the director, Kilmer, he kind of like fast-tracked this where you don't have to jump through all the hoops. So they're looking for somebody to see an email from us saying, if you know anybody that's interested, how to go through that. But they're severely lacking in some healthcare in the Valley and they need it down there. So um, working on that. And then... Um, By the way, if you're interested in finding out more about that, just email us at show at action22.org. Yeah. And then also we're going into voices that that's going to come up here soon. Yes. The Voices of Rural Colorado. Yes. That's- Voices of Rural Colorado. This is one of my favorite events all year long. We partner with Club 20 and Pro 15. We do it up at, um, up in Denver. We partner with the Denver Metro Chamber. We get to have it there. We're going to be doing a show from there yep. um, that week. And then also um, there will, there'll be a reception at the governor's mansion. Yep. And I mean, we're talking about all the big issues, water, energy, healthcare, yep. um, all the big stuff up there. Um, I'll be sending emails out um, probably tomorrow so that you can um, re- start registering th- for that. Uh, so we have a whole lot of really great stuff um, coming up. And then, of course, the session starts. We're going to have our first board meeting of the year on January 7th. So if you um, are a regular listener and you want to visit a little bit about that, um, let me know at show at action22.org. Um, and then, of course, the session starts January 12th. So we are girding our loins for that. And I'm doing a fundraiser January 9th, which we will be selling tickets for where they're going to oh, yes. uh, auction off my facial hair. Yes. So I think there's like five of us. And you buy tickets to it. Um, I'll have the address, location, where to get that stuff. And then, you know, I think everybody's number is going to be pulled but one. And then they will shave my beard. And Brian um, is already very good looking. We're very excited to see. None of us have ever seen him without a beard. (laughs) No, I'm going to take two weeks off after that. (laughs) All right. All right. uh, Chad Forthman, I know you're listening. I will see you on Saturday um, for my birthday celebration. We will uh, we'll talk to you next week with Bob McLaughlin. Talk soon. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.